0: Well, hello, Women's Bible Study. Well, this is certainly not the way that I was hoping to be teaching this week. Um, Kaylee got really sick the end of last week and I thought that I avoided it, but no such luck. I would much rather be in person with you today, but I'm thankful for the technology that allows this to work. And I hope that you enjoyed the little video by Kid President. Um, I thought that video was so appropriate as we head into Thanksgiving this week. I also thought that today's lesson, which I think focuses around how we treat one another, was very appropriate as we head into the holiday time, which I know can be stressful at times. So last week, last week, our topic was persevering in trials. And we heard from Pastor Kate about the way that Nehemiah encouraged the people to persevere. She told us that he instructs them. He instructs the people to reach out to God. He encourages them to keep on keeping on. He sets up daily defenses and encourages them to trust in the promises of God. Through the trials they faced, we read that they worked with all their heart, and the chapter ended with, we continued the work. The opposition they faced seemed to have prompted them to work even harder than before. But now we come to chapter five, and chapter five paints a different picture. Their work comes to a standstill because the people of God had come to fight with one another. Oftentimes, when we face opposition from the outside, we grow together and we unite. But if we become divided, that's when we hit a standstill. If the people of God are divided, the work stops. And our year's focus is this word restoration. It's the theme of these two books. However, if our foundation for restoration, for rebuilding, is not love for one another. Everything built will be torn down. If we do not love our neighbor as ourselves, all our efforts will be in vain. So before we dive into our passage, let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for technology and the ability to still um, study the word together Lord, I thank you for this passage and this theme of restoration, and I pray that as we look at this passage where we see the people of God divided, that you would show us ways that we can love one another better, especially as we enter into this holiday season, Lord. Would you move our hearts? Would you speak to us? In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so since... It's going to be hard to show slides today. I believe that you received them in your email, um, and maybe you printed those out. This would be a great time to get those out. Um, If you didn't, it would be helpful to either have your Bible or just your book where the passage is written to follow along with the passage. So we're going to start with reading about the problem that they are faced with in our chapter, and that's found in verses one through five. It says, now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others okay so nehemiah has this public works program going on he has all hands on deck to rebuild the walls of the city it isn't clear that anyone is being paid for their work here now to complete this task the people had to take a step of faith as they left their normal trades and professions to work on the wall the sacrifice was now beginning to wane on them With the leading breadwinner away from home, many families were going without food. On top of this, the region had been through a period of famine, and so food supply had become scarce. And on top of that, they're not working their fields and tending their crops. So there was a food and financial shortage going on. To get the food they needed to survive, they had to put their land up as collateral on their loans, and so they were losing their lands. Making matters even worse, some families were having to sell their children into debt slavery. Think of this for a moment. They had just come back from the exile. The chosen people of God were sold as slaves in exile, and now here they are selling one another. They're about to sell their children to one another into slavery right after being brought back out from the exile. The problem they present, however, is not just these economic trials that they're facing. It was how their own Jewish brothers were treating them during these hard times. You expect to see this in the world, but this is happening between God's people. This is the problem that's enraging them, although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, they say. So, what is it that almost brought the work of God to a complete halt? The danger did not come from opposition without, it came from within, from their hearts. It was their greed. So, how does Nehemiah respond to this injustice? Let's read it in verses six through eight. It says, When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have brought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So first, Nehemiah's response is, he's angry. One commentary I read said that anger is appropriate, but it's not a sufficient response. Emotional distress had to be followed by intellectual reflection, which led to practical action. So pausing there, how often do we stop with just anger? We see someone being mistreated. We hear of a wrong going on. We hear of injustice or suffering, and we're angered by it. But does that anger turn into reflection leading to action? Nehemiah, as we have seen throughout this book, is not just a man of emotion and passion. He is a man of action. He is stirred by things. He's impassioned by them. And then he brings them to the Lord in prayer, but then he does something about it. Raymond Brown in his commentary on Nehemiah says this, when good people in our world hear of cruelty, oppression, and discrimination, they are frequently moved by what they see on television news bulletins and read in their newspapers and They may become very angry at such appalling neglect and brutality, but all too often the response stays on that level of the merely emotional, and then, often, under the pressure of compassion fatigue, vaporizes into thin air. The heart has been moved, but nothing more. So, Nehemiah does not just get moved to anger. He, Then it says he ponders. It says he pondered them in his mind. So, what do you think he is pondering here? I think it's very likely that he was pondering Leviticus 25. So, let's look at what Leviticus 25 verses 35 through 43 says. It says if any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner and stranger so they can continue to live among you. Do not take interest or any profit from them, but fear your God so that they may continue to live among you. You must not lend them money at interest or sell them food at profit. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to you, do not make them work as slaves. They are to be treated as hired workers or temporary residents among you. They are to work for you until the year of Jubilee. Then they and their children are to be released and they will go back to their own clans And to the property of their ancestors, because the Israelites are my servants whom I brought out of Egypt, they must not be sold as slaves. Do not rule over them ruthlessly, but fear your God. All right. So to lend money at interest is a denial and a reversal of the gospel, just as the Lord has given to us freely. So we should do the same for others. The people of God are called to help others instead of taking advantage of them. They weren't to be sold as slaves because they are slaves to God. They aren't to be sold as slaves to anyone else, only slaves to God. So what they are doing here is a denial of the gospel. And this is not the only place that this is stated in scripture. Exodus twenty two twenty five. 25. If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal. Charge no interest. Deuteronomy 23, 19. Do not charge a fellow Israelite interest. They are to live radically different because they are a radically different people. They are the people of God. So let's read on to what Nehemiah calls them to do in verses 9 through 11. It says, So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you are charging them, 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. So here we see the heart of Nehemiah's concern. The way that they were living was not showing that they feared God. It was not an example to their enemies. These Jews knew the awesome power of God. They had seen how God judges the nations like he judged Egypt. They saw how God judged their own nation when they walked away from him, as they had just returned from that judgment, from exile. They knew that God moved history. They had been privileged with God's laws. They knew what God wanted from them. They were to be a different kind of community. So He Wu Han in his sermon on this passage says this, the fear of God would move them to be a community where there was no room for radical individualism. It was not about their own self-interest. They were bound to be brothers and sisters. They were a people of God. They were persecuted because they were a people of God. They were the chosen people of God, distinct. They were to take care of one another, to fear God. Brown says inconsistent conduct of the offenders not only dishonored God and ignored scripture, it nullified their witness to the unbelieving world. So Israel is not just to declare what God is like, they are to model it through the way that they treat one another. Who would believe that Israel's God is kind, merciful, compassionate, and loving when those who worship him are cruel and merciless towards one another? They were to be a consistent testimony. Because you see, the eyes of the Gentiles were upon them. And so they were to show themselves to be radically different in the way they treated one another. And so I pause here. Do we show ourselves to be a radically distinct community of God in the way we treat one another? Is it easy for others to notice that we are different that our care for one another is radical and it's unique? Do we show that we put one another's interests above our own? Is every aspect of our life touched by the Lordship of Christ? Or do we have some work to do? One of the most alarming parts of the cruelty was that they had a special relationship because they were united by the same covenant. Here at Glenkirk, we are part of a denomination called ECO, Evangelical Covenant Order of Presbyterians. Right now, I'm in the process of getting ordained through ECO, and at the foundation of ECO is this idea of covenant. It runs through scripture, and it should radically affect how we treat one another. We are members of a covenant community. That's what I love about ECO. That's our foundation, the covenant community. Just as we enter into a covenant in marriage, we also enter into a covenant as the people of God. That's why our members are called covenant partners. I love that. And I hope that it radically affects how we treat one another. Because we are called to be a light to the nations. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you are a light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bull. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. That is what Nehemiah is calling them to here in our passage to be distinct, a light to the surrounding nations, showing their fear of God through their love and care for one another. So what is their response? Verses 12 through 13, we will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and I made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way, may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. This is a radical response, radical repentance, costly repentance. To return this interest would have been costly. Nehemiah knows that when it comes to parting with money, it's easy for us to change our minds. So he summons the priests and immediately has them take this oath. He then acts out his words symbolically, taking his robes and shaking them out, showing that if they don't keep this oath, may God shake them out as well. If they don't keep their promise, they would become as destitute as the poorest in Judea, shaken out and emptied. So to conclude, what does this passage say for us today? They, as the people of God, were called to a life of radical distinction, of radical grace, mercy, and love for one another. Through their covenant relationship with God, they were to treat one another in a way that was an example to the world. They were to live consistent lives so that who they said God was is also how they acted, merciful. Loving, gracious, compassionate towards others, modeling for the world who they professed their God to be. And so we are called to do the same. Acts chapter four, verses 32 through 35 says this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own This is a radical way to treat one another, but this is what draws people to the church. It's probably what drew you in. Kindness, grace, Christian community. What draws people into church is Jesus. Jesus who comes alongside us and sees us in this bondage of sin and guilt, and he takes action for it. He goes above and beyond anything that God could possibly owe us, giving us this radical gift of grace as he takes the justice that we deserve. May we model this by the way we treat one another. Let's go beyond anything we could possibly owe one another and instead offer radical grace, radical compassion and radical love let's have the foundation of our restoration be love for one another radical self-giving love so now carolyn is going to play our closing song which i thought fits so well with this passage it's called different by micah tyler thank you ladies I hope that you have a wonderful Thanksgiving and I really look forward to being back with you the following week.